Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Man, Michael, that was amazing. I uh, am always upstairs with the youth on Sunday morning, so I don't get the opportunity to see that, but uh, that was cool. And I can tell Pastor Josh preached last Sunday because this is up here when I dropped my water. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it after making fun of you. So uh, some years ago, uh, Pastor John actually taught my preaching class in my undergrad. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who the preacher is, they always start with a story. Uh, that, that's how they're taught. You know, it doesn't matter what your style is or who teaches you, but you always start with a story. Well, uh, Pastor John's not here today, and uh, I'm just going to dive right in, all right? There's no story this morning. I just want to dive into the scripture because uh, I'm just excited for what the Lord has for us this morning, for the word the Lord has for us this morning. I told uh, Anthony just a little bit ago, I'm glad that no one can stop the Lord Almighty because that means even I can't stop the Lord Almighty this morning. So I'm excited for the word he has for us. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 20 is where we're going to start. A few weeks ago, I know Pastor John shared about this idea of, of what should be and what could be. In our lives, a lot of times we say, well, this is how it should be. You know, I should be able to do this. But really, the Lord wants us to be able to say, well, this is what could be. This is what our life could look like. Today, we're talking about opportunities. The message today is titled, The Bricks of Opportunity. And we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning. Verse 17 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem, Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Jasham the, the, the Arab heard of, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then Nehemiah replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right to claim in Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that, that even as I take the opportunity this morning to share the word that you have given to me for these people, Lord, that you would speak through me, that I would only be a mouthpiece. Lord, Lord that anything that I encode, Lord, the congregation can decode with ease this morning. Lord, because we know that nothing can stop the Lord Almighty. Lord, move in this place. Lord, even as we feel your spirit here this morning, we pray that it would just abound, Lord, so that we can learn to live a life that is full of opportunity all around us, Lord. Here's something that we pray. Amen. When I read through the story of Nehemiah, I rarely see myself as the character of Nehemiah. You know, when we study these Old Testament books, it's, it's quite uh, frequent of us to try to put ourselves in the story. That's how we learn from the Old Testament stories is by making it relevant to our life today. But, but I rarely see myself as Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah did a lot of great things, and uh, I haven't. So, so normally I see myself as more of the Israelite character. You know, I'm just an Israelite living in Jerusalem with my walls just, just crumbled in rubble. You see, when our lives crumble, I think we usually find ourselves, if we're honest, just laying among the rubble, right? We just find ourselves there, and, and when life begins to feel so heavy, that we can't go on, we often stop to rest and maybe even take years to get back up. 
Right? Have you ever fallen down, maybe playing a sport or something that just felt good to just lay there for just a few minutes, right? When we find ourselves in seasons of depression, discouragement, brokenness, or pain, sometimes it seems easier just to camp out in the shadows of those struggles. One summer while on a break from college, I worked for a landscape company in the city of Richmond. Uh, it, it was a good job, but I learned quickly I was not cut out for a lifelong career in landscape. Uh, there were a lot of guys that were beside me that, that had been there for years and would probably be there for years. They were cut out for it, but I was not. Uh, the job was routine. I ran the weed eater at the same properties week after week in the summer heat in the city of Richmond. Uh, if anybody knows about Richmond, it's humid, it's hot, and there's never any breeze like there is here in Virginia Beach. That's why I love Virginia Beach. Uh, as an out-of-shape white boy, I needed a break much more often than the guys I was working with. So I developed my own routines for when and where I would take a break. At just about every job we had, you know, we had a few... Uh, probably five or six properties all over Richmond. I had my own little spot where I knew I could take a little break, you know, to take, take my earplugs out, maybe, take my, maybe roll my sleeves up a little bit, take my hat off. Uh, but, but one of them was one of my favorites. It was at this big law firm, and it was this big white building, and the brick was, was just cold, and so I could sit there or at that brick wall, and there was this underground AC unit with, with a vent that would blow the fan up. And so it was just a really, like it was a gym if you're working landscape in, in Richmond. So I would sit there, and, and if I wasn't careful, I could sit there for five to ten minutes just enjoying the peace and the relaxation of a nice cool brick wall. You see, it's easy to just sit somewhere after you've been working for eight hours in, in the hot summer heat, just holding a weed eater all day long. And we worked ten hour, job, or ten hour days, so I, I still had a few more hours to go, but it would just feel good to sit there after a long day of long pants and long shirt and boots and a hat and and it was 95 plus degrees, it felt good just to sit. I, I think our lives feel like that sometimes, but to a much deeper degree. I don't know what it is for you, but when that season of depression that someone told you, would, that someone told you was just a season, it, it'll pass. But really, it's the third year now, and it hasn't passed. It's not really just a season. It, it, it probably makes you feel like you can't go on. When your marriage is in trouble and there's no hope in sight, you probably feel like you don't want to, 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 to move on. You want to just leave it, right? You don't want to go on. When you're caught up in a situation, whether it's an addiction, a relationship, or a habit, you know it's not good, but it's not causing you any discomfort at the moment, so you may feel like you don't even need to move on. Look, what I don't, I don't know whatever it is in your life this morning that made you feel like you can't go on, or you don't want to go on, or you don't need to go on, but, but we've got to keep our eyes fixed on what could be, right? What could be with, with a life lived with Christ, not what should be, it's not about what should be in our life. It's, it's about what could be. It's easy for us to throw around what should be. I should be happy by now, right? My spouse should feel this way by now. This is not what should be happening to me. That's easy. We, we've said that so many times, but, but God's plan for our rebuilding is never what should be. His plan is never what should be. What should be is what we get when we operate on our own timing. That's what we get when we operate on our own timing is what should be. What should be is action based on self-ambition rather than God-given ambition. God's, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, what could be is a marriage that is healthy and sustainable. What could be is a life that leads to happiness. What could be is waking up every morning actually happy that you woke up. What could be is a profession that makes you feel valued, important, and impactful. What could be is a life free from shame and secrets that you'd rather keep hidden so that you don't have to deal with it and so that no one has to hear about it either. Nehemiah says uh, what we just read in verse 17, now you see the trouble we are in. 
how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And here's how I make that personal. Pastor Josh just made some scripture personal to our church. Here's how I make this scripture personal to me. You see the trouble you're in, Nick? How your life lies in ruins with every opportunity you thought you had destroyed. Come on, let's find those opportunities. That way you don't have to keep embarrassing yourself with what should be, and you can start living in that could-be life. You can start living a could-be life. It can be hard to start looking at your life in the lens of what could be. Right? That can be hard because for so long we were only focused on what we thought should be in our lives. We were so focused on that that we lost any sense of honesty with ourselves, uh, and, and you no longer have the capacity to be honest with yourself because you've made up this facade that your life should be something other than what it is. Right? We've made up what we think our life should be. But here's the good news. There's always good news. When you can't be honest with yourself, God will be. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be dealt with in partnership with God than to be dealt with in discipline from God. Right? It's always better to be in partnership with God when you're working on yourself than to be away from God and just dealing with the discipline. Right? We never want to just be dealt with in discipline. We want to be dealt with in partnership. The other good news is that the Lord promises that he is always willing to partner with us. Nehemiah told the Israelites, that, uh, told the Israelites even then that the hand of God had been upon him for the good. He knew that the hand of God was upon his life for the good. Here are Jesus' own words to us. Uh, when he called us to live a life that honors him, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. That means past your life. That means past your children's life. Even to the end of the age, the Lord is with you. So what else do the Israelites face? They face enemies, just like we do. As soon as Nehemiah and the Israelites were committed to the good work in their lives, uh, you know what they were met with? Literally booze, right? Uh, the scripture says that uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, and, and Jasham heard that they were getting ready for the good work, and they jeered at them and despised them. They booed them. Uh, they were getting ready to do the good work, and it's just like you're at a baseball game or a football game, and, and the fans of the other team are just booing you, right? That's what, they were, that's what they were in the midst of. But guess what? As soon as you're ready to commit to what could be in your life, you will come face to face with the enemy. As soon as you're ready to commit to what could be, you'll come face to face with the enemy. Jesus calls that enemy a thief. You know why? Because the enemy only comes, this is the only reason he comes, to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is only coming to steal your joy, kill your faith, and destroy your life. But there's good news. Again, Jesus says that he comes that you may have life and have it abundantly. So, so the enemy comes that you, so that he can only steal, kill, and destroy everything you have, but, but Christ comes that you can have life and have it in abundance. So here's what you need to know about your enemy this morning. He has no right to your life. The creator has ownership of it, and he planned it to be abundant. Your creator has ownership of your life, and he planned it to be abundant. The enemy has no ownership of your life. Teenagers, have your parents ever told you that they brought you into this world, they can take you out of it. You've heard that before, right? Even, even adults, you've probably heard that from your parents, or maybe you've said it to your kids. Uh, some of you parents, I think you need to say it to your kids a little more often. Um, but you see, your parents have, I love you guys, you know, I just pick on you. <laughs> your parents have ownership of your life when you're young. Until you turn 18 and move out of the house and start paying your own bills, or, or for some of you, until you turn 25 and the insurance company says you at least have to start paying your own insurance, uh, your parents are controlling your life, right? They are in charge. They have ownership of your life, whether you like it or not. 
When I was growing up, my parents uh, told me this, half-joking. They, they, they told me that they took me into this life. They can take me right out of it, right? One time, uh, my parents were repainting my room. Uh, we were kind of redoing it. It was a sports theme, and they decided, you know, I kind of outgrown it. My brother and I used to share a room, and then we, we split up into two separate rooms. So we were just kind of redoing it. And uh, there was, I got a new bedspread, and there was this color blue in it. My parents know this story. Uh, there was this color blue in it that I liked. It was a little bit darker than the color the wall was already. And so I said, when we repaint, I want it to be this color. And after some, uh, what I call persuasive conversations between me and my parents, uh, they said, fine, we will, we will repaint it that color. Uh, well, they, they do. They paint the room, and, and I come in. They say, well, what do you think? And I say, man, it looks great. I, I love that color. And they said, yeah, you like it? I said, yeah. They said, it's the same color. It's the same color as before because, look, you don't even notice, and this is our room. This is our house. We're just letting you live in it, right? We're just letting you stay here because, because guess what? Just because we get to act like we have ownership of something doesn't mean we really do. Just because we can live in a room doesn't mean it's really ours. Just because we have the opportunity to live in this body and live in this life, it doesn't mean that it's really ours. Uh, our lives belong to the creator and to the sustainer of our lives. So when the enemy tries to tell you that what you're doing is wrong or invaluable or weird or worse, you just remind him that he lays no claim to your life any more than you do. He lays no claim to your life any more than you do. Anything that you do that may seem weird, that may seem stupid, guess what? The Lord is the one who's prompting you to do that. The, the enemy lays no claim to your life any more than you do. Remind the enemy that your life belongs to the creator and the sustainer of all things. Nehemiah responded to his enemies in this way. He said, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build but you have no portion or right to claim in Jerusalem. Christ will give you a prosperous and abundant life. He will give you what could be. This morning, we're going to look at the bricks of opportunity, like I said, in our lives. When it comes to opportunity in our lives, I think we often uh, presume that that's just the same thing as right timing, right? When, we, when it's the right time, we'll take the next step. When it's the right time, we'll, we'll take that good opportunity. Well, in, uh, in marketing and in business, uh, timing is really important. Uh, around here, I have the responsibility of running the social media accounts, and I, I am the first one to say I do not do a very good job of it. But uh, the teens are, are, are yelling at me now. But, but I don't do a great job of it, but I at least know that timing is really important for when we post something on our social media. So, so I can tell you uh, what day most of our followers are on Instagram. I can tell you what time most of our followers are scrolling through Instagram. So I can tell you that if I wanted to post something today on Sunday and have the most people see it, I would want to post it at 9 p.m. in the evening. I don't just know that off the top of my head. I looked it up last night. Like I said, I'm not great at this. But, but, but I can look in our app and see our insights, and Instagram says, look, you want to post at 9 p.m. because that's when most of your people are looking. You see, see um, i got to flip my page. I'm sorry. One marketing author writes this about good timing. He says, one of the rarest phenomena we experience is good timing. With so many variables constantly in play, it's nearly impossible for things to align and present an opportunity in an ideal time and space. Opportunity brings risk, ambiguity, and, and an element of fear. It's very easy and very tempting to write off opportunity by calling it bad timing. But opportunity is fickle and opportunity is fleeting. If you recognize a good opportunity, you can remove the lens of bad timing and take the jump. It's important to remember that everything is temporary, and sometimes constraints are more perception than reality. 
To grow and evolve, opportunity has to trump timing. You see, good timing is rare. Uh, we do not experience it often, but we tell ourselves that we do because really timing oftentimes is just our perception. It's just our perception of how the world works. We think this would be a, a good time to do this. And then we say this is actually an opportunity because it seems like a good time to do this, but really the Lord does not operate within our timing. Um, the Lord could give a squat about our timing. Really because the Lord that we serve is a God of opportunities and not a God of timing. That means that our God does not rely on what we see as good timing. That means our God offers us opportunities to move and to make changes in our lives and to, and to make changes around the world regardless of what we think is good timing. So even if it seems like it's bad timing, I want you to know that the Lord may be giving you an opportunity. And when this is the case, you have the permission to take off the lens of timing and accept the opportunity that the Lord has placed in front of you. In Nehemiah's, stories, I, I, in Nehemiah's story, I see three areas that the Lord offered the Israelites opportunity. And I think these three areas are the areas of our life that the Lord has, has called us to live. Uh, those areas are your church, your city, and your life. Okay? So we're going to start with our church. The first area that God gives us opportunity in is your church. In Nehemiah chapter 3, he begins to list all of the Israelites and their families and where they were rebuilding the wall. The first person he mentions is a man by uh, Eliashib. Verse 1 says this, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hanalel, uh, uh, Hanan, Hananel, something like that. Josh, Josh can correct me later. Uh, Eliashib was a high priest, which means, that, which means that he was part of the religious leadership in Jerusalem. He saw opportunity to rebuild some walls in his church community, right? Uh, the, the sheep gate was just across the way from the temple in Jerusalem. It was just literally across the street. So him and some other church leaders, the priests, they decided they were going to go into their community and help rebuild. The sheep gate, like I said, was located across the way, but, but I don't think it's any coincidence that the, that the pastors or the priests were rebuilding the sheep gate. If you know anything about the word pastor, it comes from the word shepherd. Uh, we are to shepherd sheep as pastors, but I want you to know that you don't need to have the word pastor in front of your name to be a shepherd. Uh, there are people in your church now who need to be discipled, uh, people who, who are new to the faith, people who are young in, in age and also young in spirit need help, and they need you to disciple them in the faith. Maybe this looks like volunteering in our children's ministry. We have young children, some of them even in here today, who need your help. They need you to disciple them and to raise them up in the way of the Lord and to raise them up in a life. And that's an opportunity for you to serve your Lord. In our youth ministry, we're always looking for more volunteers because whether we like it or not, we are growing rapidly. Uh, we are growing so rapidly that, that we do not have enough leaders. So if you are interested, here's a little shameless plug, if you're interested in volunteering with the youth, come, come let me know because we need you. It's an opportunity for you to serve. We just talked about light the night, how we need some trunks to be available during our trunk or treating. You know, it might seem, it might seem silly to say that, that trunk or treating is an opportunity of the Lord, but guess what? It's not. There are so many people in our neighborhood. We've already reached 2.5 thousand people on Instagram and Facebook just in a nine-mile radius of our church. There's that many people who need to know the love of Christ, and it may, it may take just a trunk or treat. So, so bringing your car and decorating it can be an opportunity for the Lord. Eliashib and his brothers in the church also set a great example for reaching out into the community that surrounds their place of worship. Maybe to Grace River, the Sheep Gate is, is Brigadoon or, or Indian Lakes or Salem. These are the neighborhoods around us, and I did a little research 
and I found out that just in Salem and Brigadoon alone, there are 50,000 people. Just in the Brigadoon neighborhood right across the street, in the Salem neighborhood right down the road, there's over 50,000 people that surround just this half of the church. That's not even including Indian Lakes. 50,000 people. Over 50,000 people. So, so what would it look like if Grace River were to serve over 50,000 individuals? What would it look like if these 50,000 individuals that are just on this side of the church knew that Grace River had a body of, of people who cared about them and cared about their well-being? That's the opportunity that the church has and that we have as people who attend the church. We have the opportunity to impact over 50,000 lives in our community. But before we can even begin to think about reaching those 50,000 lives, we have to think about reaching our own, right? We have, to, we have to think about reaching the people who are in this room right now. So, so what does that look like? Joining a grace group. Just, just joining in a small group of people who, who want to share their lives with you and who want to, to grow, who want to belong, and who want to serve alongside of you. Maybe it looks like serving as an usher or a greeter. We call this our first impressions team. You know why? Because when people walk in the door, they get the first impression of what the Lord is doing at Grace River Church. So when you open the door, you're not just letting them in. You're giving them an impression of what the Lord is doing all over our church. When you shake their hand and hand them a bulletin, you're not just giving them a bulletin. You're letting them know about the goal and the mission of Grace River Church to bring transformation to those 50,000 people. Maybe it looks like serving in the cafe. You know, how many enjoyed a bagel or a pastry or a cup of coffee this morning? Um, okay, y'all need to get back in the cafe. Uh, but guess what? We've got bagels, we've got pastries, we've got coffee every Sunday morning. And really what that does, it's not just so we can have a good snack before church, it's so that we can grow as a community, so we can belong to each other. That's what's going on at Grace River Church. Like I said, serving at the children's ministry, we need you to disciple them. Serving in the youth, we need you to disciple them. And maybe serving in the worship team. If you can sing or you can play a guitar or anything, please just let Emily know. Because we would love to have you, because I just saw Jeremy, because Jeremy's tired. He's got to play guitar every week. He's tired. So if you play guitar, let Emily know. We need you because this is an opportunity to serve your church. There are some of you here today who are being called to be more involved in what our church is doing. Are you looking for purpose in your life, but you're overlooking the opportunity to serve? Are you looking for a place to actually feel like you belong and actually feel like you matter, but you're overlooking the small group ministry that we have here at Grace River Church? Maybe you're looking to grow, you're in your understanding of the Bible and who God really is, but you aren't taking advantage of the opportunity we have every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. It's called In the Word, uh, to study the Word. See, there are opportunities here in the church, and I'm going to tell you why we do that. It's because in Acts 2, it says that the first church was committed to three things. It says they were committed to serving their neighbors, right? That's our grace group, that's our cafe. Uh, in order to be served, you have to serve. So that when you're in need and need to be served, people know that, hey, they helped me, I'm going to help them, right? And the second thing is to, to create a place where others can belong, where you can feel like you're actually loved, and, and to create a place where the teachings of those who were discipled by Jesus are taught. That's what we do here at Grace River is we give you a place to belong, a place to grow, and a place to serve. Hebrews 10.24 also encourages us to continue to meet together. It says even back then that people have stopped meeting together. Uh, how many people know that, that church is not something that everyone goes to on Sunday mornings anymore? Now they just go to brunch, right? But, but we need to come to church because we need one another. The Lord gives us opportunity in our church because we need those opportunities. We need to be transformed from what, could, what should be to what could be. We live in a life where all we say is, man, my life should be like this. My life should be like this. But really, we don't take the time to get into church and to, and to witness the opportunities that we have here to have our life be transformed into what could be. 
It's the transforming power of God that takes us from what we were to what he has planned for our lives. The second opportunity is the opportunity in your city. In in a similar way, the Lord provides opportunity for for what should be to what could be. In numerous verses throughout chapter 3, Nehemiah explains how many Israelites simply built up sections in the wall that were opposite to their house or or that were in their district, like it says in verse 10 and and 17. But but numerous times all throughout chapter 3, people were rebuilding in their neighborhood, right next door, right across the street. When I think about my neighborhood, I think about different cultures, different beliefs, and different ways of life. Like it or not, we live in a society where radically different belief systems are held in regard to religion, to sex, to morality, and ethics. If you don't believe me, just download the wildly popular app TikTok. Just download it and watch four or five short videos made by teens uh, of today, and you'll realize that the church is more sexual, not, not the church, I'm sorry, the culture is more sexualized with lower moral and ethical standards than adults, even as young as me, could ever believe. Uh, I tell Corey and the staff here all the time that, that these students are only what? You guys are six years younger than me? Is that right, Tommy? You know, he's not here. Something like that. These, these youth are only, only six years younger than me, but the culture has changed so drastically in those six years. They are over-sexualized. Their morals are so much different. Their ethics are so much different. And I'm not saying these guys, I love you guys, but the people around you are so much different than even it was when I was a kid, just, just not that long ago. I'm a young guy. I know I'm balding a little bit here, but I'm a young guy, okay? We are living in the middle of a culture shift that is desperate for transformation. This is the age we live in, the age of what should be. I should be able to take the life of an unborn baby. I should be able to be a male or female regardless of how I was created. I should be able to show as much of my body in public as I please. I should be able to love and marry whom I please regardless of what sex they are. I should be able to say whatever I want regardless of who may be around me or how it may make others feel. I should be able to do what I please regardless of consequence, listen, because you don't get to decide what the truth is for my life. That's the culture we live in. Do you guys see the opportunity that is in your city. That's in the culture of this city. We don't just live in a city, but a world that has decided that what they believe should be is the only semblance of truth in this world. They believe the only semblance of truth is whatever they believe it is. So so who is going to show them what could be in their life? Who is going to live the truth of the Bible? Who is going to show the culture of what should be that there really is an unarguable truth of what could be if it's not us? Who's going to show them that if it's not us? If you keep up with culture at all, you know that Kanye West, a famous rapper married to Kim Kardashian, just released an album on Friday titled Jesus is King. You guys are laughing at me because I'm bringing up Kanye, but guess what? He, he released an album called Jesus is King. And on Sunday, January 6th of this year, uh, the beginning of this year in January, Kanye began his own Sunday service that takes place every Sunday, that has taken place every Sunday since at various locations around LA and around the country. This Sunday service is attended by culture stars including David Letterman, Katy Perry, Brad Pitt, and others of the like. If you listen to any of the tracks on Kanye's new album, you'll hear lyrics that are, get it, unabashedly, unabashedly tackle the highs, lows, goods, and bads of faith and religion. He tackles faith and religion head on without, without any care of what the Christian church is going to say or what else, what, what, no, what, no care of what his, his culture friends are going to say. He tackles it head on whether you like Kanye or not. In 2013, this same man released an album titled Jesus. 
This is a hybrid of, of Kanye's name, which is Ye, right? Am I right? His nickname is Ye uh, and Jesus, right? Jesus is Ye and Jesus. And, and, and one of the albums on this, or one of the songs on this album was titled, I Am God. And the lyrics, Kanye calls himself God over and over while also sharing a conversation that he has with Jesus. It, it reads like this, and I took out the expletives. It says, I just talked to Jesus. He said, what's up, Jesus? I said, I'm chilling, trying to stack these millions. I know he the most high, but I'm a close high. Right? And this is the culture. I know that, I know that God is the most high, but guess what? I'm, I'm right there with him. I'm a close high because what I say goes. Right? That's the culture we live in. What I say goes. The transformation in Kanye's album from a title of self-proclamation to a title of Christ's declaration is one that this culture was not ready for. In a similar way to how Nehemiah was an agent of change and transformation in the culture of the Israelites, I think we may see Kanye be an agent of change and transformation in the culture of this day and age. From rapping about drugs, sex, money, and power to rapping about Jesus as the one true king and the one way to what could be, Kanye has changed the conversation around the music world and around our culture in general. So what's the sort of opportunity you need to say yes to in order to be that same sort of change agent in your local culture. Look, Kanye didn't come out to change the world. He didn't come out to even change the music industry. He just had a few friends. He wanted to say, look, this is who I've met. His name is Jesus. Uh, would you consider changing with me? And, and I even heard from Emily this morning that in creating this album, Kanye set some strict standards to the people he was working with. He said no premarital sex and no porn when you're making this album. Okay, because he understands that is what is driving our culture is premarital sex and porn. And he said, while you're making this album, you're not going to do it or you're gone. And guess what? This, this album is, is set to make more money than any album Kanye has ever created because guess what? He's got his culture and he's got our culture. I've already listened to the whole thing maybe three or four times. It's really good. Uh, I'm being honest with you. But do you see the opportunity that is in your city? Maybe your culture is at work and it's stuck in what should be and not based on the truth of God that could be. Maybe it's your coworkers that need to know what could be. Maybe it's your friend group, teens. Maybe it's your friend group who are stuck and what could be, or what should be, and they need to know what could be with this man named Jesus Christ. Maybe you come to church by yourself, and your family needs to know that what could be in their lives, and you know that you are that person who can bring the change home. You are that person. You're coming here day after day alone, but guess what? You know that there's a family at home that needs to know what could be in their lives. Whatever your city is, whatever your culture is, your friends, your family, your coworkers, there's opportunity waiting for you to bring the message of Christ and it's a transforming message for their lives. The last opportunity the Lord gives is not the last one, the last one I'm going to talk about. He gives us a lot of opportunities, but it's the opportunity in your life. Nehemiah 3.12 says that uh, Shalom, the, the son of Halohesh, sorry, Josh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he repaired with him and his daughters. Parents, whether you know it or not, the life you live is vitally important to your kids. The life that you live is vitally important. The words you say, the attitude you have, the love you show, and the relationship you have with the Lord is being watched 24-7. Think about it. Who sees you more than anybody you know? It's your kids. You're being watched 24-7. Amanda and I are part of, of the Marriage Grace Group here at church, and I shared with the group a, a couple weeks ago that the one, th uh, well, let me preface it. We were talking about how our marriages and how we, how we relate to each other, how we love each other, is a direct example of how our parents loved each other. Our marriage is a direct example of how our parents' marriages were. So I shared how uh, 
when I would when my when I would see my dad come home from work, the first thing he would do was go to my mom and give her a hug and give her a kiss. And we were young, and we would say, "You get a room." And, and I am going to embarrass you a little bit, mom. They would say, "Well, you're you're lucky that you have a family or, or you have parents who need a room, right? You're lucky to have parents who who love each other so much that they need a room to go to, right? Because some of us." You go, or your teens, you go home and, you're, and your parents don't really love you that much, right? They don't love each other that much. Some of you uh, adults have grown up with parents who didn't love each other that much. But, but guess what? The lives that we live as parents, as husbands and wives, is being watched constantly by your children. In the same way, the life we live will drastically affect not only our kids' lives, but the lives of any person who looks up to us. I tell the youth over and over again, the older ones, they are teens who are looking up to you you are setting an example, whether you know it or not. The way you live, the way you act on social media, the way you act among your friends at school, the younger teens are watching you. You are living an example, whether you know it or not. Whether you like it or not, the life you live is an example to someone else. Dads, the life you live is an example not only to your wife, but to your kids, to their friends, to, to your friends. The life you live is an example, whether you like it or not. I think that's why this man felt the need to repair the wall with his daughters. He knew that the work he was doing was setting an example for the lives around him. Not only for his kids, but for the others around him who were working alongside him. What sort of example is your life setting for the lives around you? Ephesians 5.12 says that, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine, therefore, before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, whether you like it or not, the life that you are living is not your own. The life you are, you are living is an opportunity to show others the life of Christ. So, so the scriptures say, to live your life like Christ lived his life. It says, live your life so that it may be a light to others. Live your life because it is a light to others, whether it's going to be a good light or it's going to be a bad light. Live your life so that it's a good light. Emily, if you would come on the keys. I'm going to bring up Kanye one more time because I think he said it best in one of his songs. It says, everything that I felt, praise the Lord. Worship Christ with the best of your portions. I know I won't forget all he's done. He's the strength in this race that I run. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness. And it shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody, I will tell till the whole world is healed. King of kings, Lord of lords, all the things he has in store. From the rich to the poor, all are welcome through his door. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus saved me, now I'm sane. And I know, I know God is the force that picked me up. I know Christ is the fountain that filled my cup. I know God is alive. He has opened up my vision, giving me a revelation. This isn't about a religion. Jesus, bought, Jesus brought a revolution. All the captives are forgiven. Time to break down all the prisons. Every man, every woman, there is freedom from addiction. Jesus, you have my soul. Sunday service on a roll. All my idols, let them go. All the demons, let them know. This is a mission, not a show. This is my eternal soul. This my kids. This the crib. This my wife. This my life. This my God-given right. Thank you, Jesus won the fight. It's crazy. If I had said that that was uh, Michael Card, you'd say, oh, Michael Card's making a new album. 
Uh, no, that was Kanye West. But, but Kanye decided that the life he was living wasn't going to transform his eternal soul. He realized that what should be is not going to transform the life he was living. It wasn't going to transform his kids. It wasn't going to transform his home. It wasn't going to transform his wife. And it wasn't going to transform his life. Because what you're doing now is not what could be. What you're living now is not what the plan God has for you. It can't transform your life. What Kanye realizes is that when you call on Jesus' name, he can make you sane. What that means is he can heal you from your mental illness. Uh, he, can, he can pick you up, Kanye says. What that means is he can free you from depression. He can fill your cup, Kanye says. He can satisfy you like no drug or drink can. He can open up your vision. This is what Kanye was thinking, I promise. He can help you see what could be instead of what should be. He can open up your vision so you don't have to say, well, my life should be this. I should be able to do No, he can open up your vision so you can see what could be. It's called vision, ladies and gentlemen. It's called vision. That's what your life could be. If you don't have vision, what do you have? You're just living day to day. You're just living day to day if you don't have vision. You're just living in what should be. And every day you wake up and you say, daggone, life should be like this. But guess what it's not? Because you don't have vision of what could be. There's an opportunity in your life to take it from where it is and change it to what it could be. Will you take the opportunity this morning or, or will you wait for your own timing? Good timing is rare. Will you continue to live a life full of what you think should be or you look towards what could be? Where's the Lord calling you to build your life? What's that holy discontent, as Pastor John said? Is it the lives of kids? Is it the lives of your neighbor? Is it the lives of people you know who are living like the culture says to live? What's that holy discontent in your life? Where is the Lord calling you to build your life? What opportunity is knocking at your door this morning? There's opportunity here in the church. There's opportunity in your, in your culture. There's opportunity at home. There's opportunity in your marriage. There's opportunity in the own life you live and breathe. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. From one degree of glory to another, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. From one degree of glory to another, we are moving from what should be to what could be. From one degree of glory to another, we are living in what we used to be, and we're moving to what could be. Would you stand with me? Church, it's time to move to what could be. Maybe your life is just a mess right now. You know what, what could be means for you, but maybe your life is just, you know, Nick, I'm, I'm getting by, I'm doing all right. Maybe you don't even know what that could be is. Because I'm preaching to myself this morning, church. I promise. I, I wrestled all week with this. Because I, as I'm studying and I'm, I'm writing these words, the Lord is saying, yeah, but you got to work on yourself first, Nick. you got to work on yourself first, Nick. Because we can live our lives. We can put on a good face. We can put on a, a good show. But, but like Kanye said, it's not a show. It's, it's a mission. Our life is a mission. It's, our life is not just to make others think we're good and, and to show others you can be good. Because guess what? Nobody cares how good you can be. They care about a life that could be. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you give us in this church, in our culture, in our families, in our, in our marriages, in our relationships at home. Lord, you give us so much opportunity 
So my prayer is that we would stop looking for good timing. Lord, my prayer is that I would stop looking for good timing when it seems like it's going to go over well if I tell them about this now, when, when I feel like it's going to go well when I share this now. Lord, I pray that good timing would just, I, don't, I, I just pray I didn't have to care about it anymore. Lord, I pray that we don't care about good timing anymore because guess what? You are a God of opportunity. Lord, we thank you for being a God of opportunity and we thank you for giving us opportunity day after day. Day after day, you give us opportunity, whether it's good timing or bad, your opportunity is there and we thank you for that, Lord. Our prayer this morning is that we would step into that opportunity. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, we would begin to see opportunity flourish in, in every area of our life. We would begin to see opportunity to live a life that glorifies you so that by glory to glory, we can start to live a life that is transformed and we will start to be people who look more and more like you. That's my prayer this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song again. It's called Glory to Glory because we are going from glory to glory. Are you going to hop on the train of, of transformation? Uh, back in the day, they used to say, get on the bus, right? Are you going to get on the bus of, of transformation, or are you going to stay where you are now at what should be? Would you sing this song and just ask the Lord what the opportunity is he's calling you to? Just, just ask yourself, just pray, what is the opportunity you're calling me to so that I can go from glory to glory and be transformed to look more and more like you every day? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.